0: Providing for your family is a top priority. But what happens when you need affordable health care? Christian Health Care Ministries could save you up to 40% today. As a member, you can choose your provider without network restrictions. Sign up at your convenience with our anytime enrollment. Join a Christian community that supports each other's medical expenses, offering peace of mind as you prioritize what's most important. Enroll now at yourchm.org.
1: I'm Kennedy. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Harris Faulkner. And this is the Fox News
2: Rundown. Monday, November 6th, 2023, I'm Mike Emanuel. With a tiny majority in the House, the role of leading the Republican campaign committee in Congress is critically important heading into the November 2024 elections. Now that Mike Johnson is Speaker he'll need to raise significant money to give the GOP resources to compete in key races across the country.
3: I believe Mike Johnson will will be an incredibly good fundraiser as well once we build up the uh, apparatus around him that Kevin McCarthy already had in place.
4: And Lisa Brady, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram is being sued by most of the United States.
5: We're actually going to try to protect our kids. And so I think this is going to be one of the great battles of our time, and uh, it's one we're going to be eventually victorious on. And I'm Paul Batura. I've got the final
2: word on the Fox News Rundown. The House Republican vision these days is there should be no massive spending bills for multiple issues. There should be votes on each funding package. So House Republicans in recent days passed a $14.3 billion package to back Israel and cut funding from the IRS. The White House wanted a much larger $106 billion package with significant money for Ukraine. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says the Israel only package is not enough. I think we've been very
1: clear how deeply concerning this House Republican bill is uh, and how it doesn't meet our national security means and meet needs. Um, and as commander in chief, the president's never going to do anything. It doesn't meet our key national security needs.
2: House Republican conference chair, Elise Stefanik, blasted President Biden and Senate Democrats for calling the House passed bill a non-starter.
4: Shame on Joe Biden and shame on Chuck Schumer. House Republicans understand how important it is to stand strongly with Israel. And it is the White House and the Democrat Senate that are politicizing the that are politicizing this issue.
2: This is an initial test for new House Speaker Mike Johnson. Texas Republican Congressman Lance Gooden says the new
5: speaker is off to a great start. Mike Johnson, our new speaker, there is not one member of the United States Congress that I have um, any more faith in to follow the Constitution and the law. He is such an honorable man and a good man. Even Democrats had good things to say about him.
2: After the Daily Beast dug through Speaker Johnson's personal finances, finding he doesn't have money stashed in investments, House Ways and Means Chairman Jason Smith says that makes him relatable to average americans struggling to pay their bills republicans are the party of working class the people that are living paycheck to paycheck and just trying to provide for their family
1: mike johnson's reflective of that
2: as house republicans are counting on a new speaker becoming a prolific fundraiser to give the GOP campaign arm the resources it needs in House races next year.
3: Well, I'm very excited about our opportunity 2024. Um, the political environment is incredibly good for us.
2: Congressman Richard Hudson of North Carolina is chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee.
3: We have recruited some incredible candidates um, and we are raising money at record rates and building really strong campaigns around those candidates. And so uh, we're not planning to maintain our majority. We're planning to grow it.
2: Now you're working with a new House Speaker as a partner and building on that majority. Your thoughts on Mike Johnson becoming the new Speaker of the House?
3: Well, Mike Johnson is an incredible speaker. He's uh, maybe a surprise to a lot of people around the country. Mm -hmm. uh, He's not a household name, but those of us who've served with Mike know he's an incredibly intelligent, thoughtful individual. He is a conservative. He's As a constitutional lawyer, understands the issues we're dealing with, and he's he's a a great leader for us.
2: Were you thinking it was more likely that somebody like Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan, bigger household names, might have gotten the job?
3: Yes, and you know, I supported Steve Scalise. I thought, you know, he was he's our majority leader, and I thought he'd be the natural choice. That that wasn't the way it worked out. I also supported Jim Jordan, who I thought was a, a strong conservative who was thoughtful and, and a good leader who could close together. Again, that's not where all the Republicans ended up. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think we're very fortunate to to have Speaker Mike Johnson because he's all those things. Uh, he's prepared, ready to lead, and he's someone who uh, has united all Republicans. We're We're back focused on doing the job that the American people expect us to do.
2: On social media, shortly after Johnson was elected speaker, you said you'd met with him and seemed enthusiastic about, quote, getting back to work on behalf of the American people. What sort of things did you discuss in terms of priorities going forward?
3: Well, he, he asked me if he could come over and uh, just get kind of an overview of the work of the campaign committee, the NRCC, mm-hmm. uh, what our plans were, what our budget was, just so we could bring him up to speed. Uh, he hadn't been as directly involved with the committee. I saw that as a great sign that that one of the first things he wanted to do was was uh, was focus on on the political side. And we had a great meeting, and uh, I can tell you, we had our best fundraising week of the year. The first week he was speaker, we we broke records on digital and mail, and uh, and we're off to a fast start.
2: That's an interesting point, because former Speaker Kevin McCarthy was known as kind of a legendary fundraiser. So I think there were concerns initially about taking out a guy who was great at fundraising, putting in somebody who was lesser known.
3: Well, I think it was a mistake to take out Kevin McCarthy for a lot of reasons. But one of them, he he is the best fundraiser we've ever had. Uh, It has hurt us to to have sort of this transition period. But I believe Mike Johnson will, will be an incredibly good fundraiser as well once we build up the uh, apparatus around him that Kevin McCarthy already had in place. So I'm, I'm not concerned at all about Mike Johnson and his ability to lead us and to raise money.
2: Does the gap in the house speaker position in terms of the gap from Kevin McCarthy to Mike Johnson, does that hurt you in terms of messaging as you try to build on the majority?
3: Not at all. I mean, we've, we uh, immediately under speaker Johnson, got back to work, completely turned the page, And, uh, you know, you can see the first day we passed an important Israel resolution. Uh, The very next day we passed an appropriations bill. We've now passed three since he's been elected uh, and are going to hopefully pass another one as soon as we get back uh, in session uh, for the week. So uh, we haven't we haven't missed a beat as far as messaging, as far as doing the work the American people expect us to do.
2: (laughs) Do you think the $1 million that came in the first week since Speaker Johnson was elected will be a continuing pattern, or do you think it was a one-shot level of excitement that donors gave all at once?
3: Well, we'll see. But what's encouraging about it is not only were people excited and and ready to contribute, but they were signing up to be recurring donors, so that money is going to continue to come in month after month. And I think we can build on that. I think... The more people learn about Mike Johnson, the more they understand the work that we're doing under his leadership. Um, I think donors are going to continue to be excited.
2: So where are you targeting? Where do you think the House Republican majority could grow?
3: Well, we've got a lot of opportunity. Um, I think there's 37 Democrats that are vulnerable. The most vulnerable, I think, are the five who serve in districts won by President Trump. Mm That's Marcy Kaptur, uh, Perez, Cartwright, Golden, Peltola. Uh, But there's also three Democrat open seats, uh, Katie Porter out in California, Alyssa Slotkin in Michigan, and Spamberger in Virginia. Those were Republican seats that we targeted the last couple cycles, but because those incumbents raised so much money, uh, we were not able to take them out. Now those are open seats. I think those are obvious pickup opportunities for us.
2: Going forward in terms of issues, are there certain issues that you think that the House Republican majority needs to handle in order to signal to voters that if you give us more members, we'll be able to do even more of your agenda?
3: Well, we're we are laser focused on the issues the American people care about, and that's the economy. It's the cost of things. If you can even find what you want at the grocery store, you can't afford it. Uh, the cost of gas, the cost of heating your home. It's also crime in your neighborhoods. It's uh, concerns about the open border and uh, and the, the fentanyl poison that's pouring into this country and affecting people in every state. These are the issues people care about. These are the issues we've been working on. And uh, and if you look at the polling, the poll just came out New York Times, Siena poll um, showed that Trump leads Biden in five of the six key swing states and that voters trust Republicans, not Democrats, on the key issues that they care about.
2: You talked about the presidential race. How critical will that be in terms of potentially coattails to help you get more Republicans across the finish line?
3: I think the presidential cycle helps Republicans. Our voters are lower propensity voters. They're less likely to turn out. Uh, But having President Trump or whoever our nominee is going to be at the top of the ticket, I think it's going to help us with turnout. Uh, And then, you know, if you look at this New York Times poll, Uh, You know, these are six states, key swing states that the Biden won last time. Trump is leading in five of the six. Um, So I I think that's certainly helped us.
2: I know here in Washington, you know, the media here and politicians here talk about certain issues. But I know when you go back to North Carolina, I'm sure you hear specific issues from your constituents. I'm wondering what people back home in North Carolina are really concerned about at this critical stage.
3: Well, they're concerned about inflation. They're concerned about their ability to afford the things they need for their family. You know, I talked to a single mom just two weeks ago who got two boys at home, and she's worried about being able to afford gasoline to get to her second job. Those are the realities people are facing. Uh, And President Biden's policies are hurting Americans. And so we we are laser focused on that. We're doing everything we can to reduce spending, to to bring down inflation, to, to turn on this American energy uh, opportunity that we have uh, that will also bring down prices. Uh, you know, we are focused on crime. We're focused on trying to secure the border. These are the things that the voters care about.
2: Being NRCC chairman and also representing the ninth District of North Carolina, that's a lot of work. How do you juggle it all?
3: Well, it is a lot of work, uh, but it's, it's really an honor to, to be the voice of 700,000 people in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also a dad. And I'm a husband, and those are those are my top priorities. And so it is a juggling act, but you just got to prioritize. And uh, you know, I try to get back home as much as I can. It's been tough these last few weeks with all this I'm going on with the speaker. Uh, but you know, it's it's just about prioritizing and remembering who you are and who you represent. And uh, you know, it's really it's really an honor to to have this opportunity. You know, at leading the NRCC, uh, I have an opportunity to lead our party to grow our majority so we can save America.
2: On Saturday here in Washington, there was a massive pro-Palestinian rally. Did you see any of that? Did it surprise you and your thoughts on Israel at such a critical stage for our ally?
3: Mike, it's heartbreaking for me to see so many people in the streets uh, protesting, uh, you know, calling for you know, from the river to the sea. That's, that's a, a call for genocide, the destruction of Israel. Uh, and it's heartbreaking to me because I will always stand with Israel. I support Israel's right to exist. I support Israel's right to defend itself, to wipe out Hamas, uh, the, the unbelievable atrocities that were committed uh, against the people of Israel, grandparents, babies, pregnant women. It's just it's disgusting. And so I'm firmly standing with Israel. Uh, it's it's hard to understand why the Democrat Party is out there protesting, supporting uh, genocide in Israel—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's, it's really heartbreaking for me, uh, but it tells me we've got to stand up with a clear voice now more than ever and stand up for what's right.
2: Finally, do you think President Biden is handling the situation with Israel well, or do you think there's something else he needs to be doing for our critical ally?
3: Well, I give the pre- president a lot of credit for the, the way he's handled it uh, in the early days. I'm now concerned that he's—it seems that he's responding to the mob within the Democrat Party. And it, it, some of his rhetoric is softening. I pray that he will stay strong and stand with Israel. Uh, it, there can be no ambivalence in the language of the president of the United States. Uh, and so I just I hope he'll continue to be strong. And he won't bow to the mob that now controls the Democrat Party.
2: He's the chairman of the National Republican Congressional <laughs> Committee. Chairman Hudson, thank you so much for your time. I wish you a great week.
3: Great to be with you. Thank you so much.
6: This is Paul Batura with your Fox News commentary, coming up.
4: In recent years, social media companies have been called out on a variety of concerns, including privacy, misinformation, and the mental health of young people. Now, Meta, the Facebook and Instagram parent, is being sued by 41 states plus D.C., accused of intentionally getting kids hooked on social media, helping to fuel a youth mental health crisis.
0: For its own gain, Meta has and continues to exploit the vulnerability of children and their fundamental desire for connection to others.
4: Maryland's Democratic Attorney General Anthony Brown is part of the broad bipartisan push to hold the company accountable for what the states call manipulative features and misleading the public. Meta says it's disappointed the attorneys general have chosen this path, that it shares the commitment to providing teens with safe, positive experiences online, and has introduced over 30 tools to support teens and their families. The company also argues that age-appropriate standards are needed for the many apps teens use. The lawsuit follows a two-year investigation.
5: We had a multi-year investigation going on, going in through a, an enormous amount of data.
4: Virginia's attorney general is Republican Jason Miares.
5: We had a confidential informant, a whistleblower that has shared information with us. We've had multiple meetings. I'm uh, on the steering committee of this multi-state, along with Jonathan Scimetti, the attorney general of Tennessee, and Phil Weiser, the attorney general of Colorado. So there's a lot of decisions and a lot of moving parts. We basically pulled our resources together, uh, multiple staffs have been working on this for quite some time. And so uh, when this is a little bit of a measure twice, cut once moment, we wanted to get this right. We had a lot of information to go through and to confirm what we somewhat suspected and, and sadly uh, the, the, the evidence we've uncovered, um, some of which we have in our 300 page plus complaint, some of which is redacted because it deals with our confidential informant. and can't be released to the public yet. Uh, confirm some of our worst suspicions.
4: Hmm. You and 41 attorneys general, other attorneys general, are accusing Meta of getting kids hooked on social media on purpose with features that you've described as behavioral cocaine. What features are you most concerned about? And is the goal to eliminate just those features or other things?
5: Well, listen, I mean... It, meta realized in 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 their own words they viewed uh children young users as a quote valuable and untapped market and one of their developers who founded what's called the infinite scroll feature he described it as behavior cocaine he described it as something that's being sprinkled all over your interface to get you addicted to keep you to stay on these these rabbit holes that get you in like infinite scroll near constant alerts Um, they have basically set up an entire system with one goal in mind, keep you on their platform as long as possible, because this is how we make money. We also know that um, the vast, that a huge number of young children under the age of 13 are on their platform. So the, the uh, children's online privacy protection act, otherwise known as COPA does not allow somebody under the age of 13 on the platform without a, without verifiable parental consent. That's federal law. We also have in Virginia, our own consumer protection laws as well. So on one hand, Meta is publicly claiming that this is not happening uh, to the best of their knowledge. And now we know that they do. And so, you know, we have a mental health crisis in this country. One in three teenage girls have had a suicidal thought or iteration the last 12 months. Our depression and self-harm rates among teenagers has doubled roughly in the last decade. And increasingly, we're seeing a direct correlation by the more time people spend on these devices, um, the more behavioral cocaine they're injecting and, you know, figuratively speaking, putting into their body. The more they're on these devices, um, the higher levels of anxiety, depression and potentially self-harm is happening. Meta knew this. And I think it's time for us to look at Meta and some of these big tech companies, very similar to the way we view big tobacco 30, 40 years ago, there was outrage, uh, rightly so, when people discovered that Big Tobacco was using images like Joe Camel, a cartoon, to target tobacco products for young people. I would argue that is exactly what Big Tech has been doing. And so um, it's taken a while to get to this point, um, but we're ready to fight uh, Big Tech to protect our kids. At the end of the day, they chose profits over protecting our kids and it's tragic to see and uh, they need to do the right thing.
4: Meta argues that not only has it created many tools to support teens and families, it says, but they've also argued industry standards are needed across the board, things like age appropriate standards for the many apps that teens use. Is there a way that could be, you know, part of a viable defense for them in this case?
5: Listen, at the end of the day, they did not have any age verification attempts whatsoever until December of 2019. Right. So they were very late to the game to put anything And what they have in place uh, is Swiss cheese. Anybody can essentially go on there and claim that they're 15 or 16 years old, even though they're 10. Meta knows that 50 percent of those under the age of 13 that have signed up have lied about their age. Right, and so they, they've cut parents out of the process again. Federal law requires you to get verifiable parental consent if you're under the age of 13 on these platforms. Meta knew this. Meta knew kids were lying about their age. Meta didn't care. Meta chose profits over people, profits over our kids' mental health. And so, really, Meta right now has a choice: you could choose to fight 41 AGs that will fight you all the way to the end, damn day, or. It's never too late to do the right thing. You can work with us. You could start actually following federal law and COPA. You could get actual real verifiable age verification on your platform and not cut parents out and do the right thing. It's really their choice. But again, they are like big tobacco. And the reality is, is what we want to see is accountability. And we want to protect parents. We want to protect our kids. Uh, Because right now, we're dealing with a mental health crisis in this country, unlike anything we've ever seen before. And Meta is helping to drive it. Meta knew what they were doing, and they didn't care. And now it's our job to hold them accountable.
4: In October of 2021, a former data scientist for Facebook, Frances Haugen, went public as a whistleblower, testifying to Congress just weeks before the name change from Facebook to Meta that the company puts profits over safety and knew from its own research about its platform's negative impacts on teenagers, especially teen girls. During my time at Facebook, I came to realize a devastating truth. Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside of Facebook. The company intentionally hides vital information from the public, from the U.S. government, and from governments around the world. CEO Mark Zuckerberg released a statement in response at the time, writing in part that a false picture was being painted and that the company cares deeply about issues like safety, well-being, and mental health, citing their investments in research and fighting harmful content as evidence of that. It's not clear how much of the new multi-state lawsuit relies on information from the confidential informant, an unnamed whistleblower.
5: I'm going to get to how specific other than there is a lot of evidence that has been produced for us in the the course of both discovery and conversations uh, that show that Meta was, was aware of what was going on. And I want to be clear, this was at the same time you had the CEO, you had Zuckerberg and other spokesperson for Meta. Claiming to the contrary, they actually were saying we actually view this as a net beneficial um, uh, for young people, and we have no evidence um, to this at all. But at the same time, Meta was aware that children and teens were being exposed to harmful content, such as suicide and self harm uh, content, and they knew that. And you know, they didn't care, and so they were both saying one thing in public, at the same time, they knew the exact opposite in private.
4: Dozens of school districts around the country are suing multiple social media companies, including Meta, but also targeting the parents of TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, similarly claiming harm to children, but also flowing from that, claiming a negative impact on schools, disruptions in education. What impact could that case have on your case?
5: I think there are two parallel tracks. We could see that our case is transferred into the multi-district litigation in in, in Northern District of California. Those are all court decisions that have to be made. But I do think you hit on a a larger issue. Parents and teachers are seeing the impact that social media is having on our young people. And so, you know, Meta has chosen to maximize its profits just like Big Tobacco did a generation ago. And they're doing it at the expense of public health and specifically the health of our young people and uh you know for them to exploit the vulnerability of our youth uh and our youths which have since time immortal young people have had a desire for connection uh but they have used this uh for their own personal profits knowing that this was causing such a mental health trauma to these young people uh, that's unconscionable and so our job is to hold them accountable but You are seeing both school districts and parents and teachers wake up to the fact that we have a serious problem in this country.
4: Very few things um, get this many states on the same page. Is there strength in numbers for a case like this? Does that help in court?
5: Well, I think you, you you kind of hit on something. This is a real bipartisan effort. Um, you know, this is not going to be the, the meta tactic. Probably is thinking kind of divide and conquer, try to claim somehow this is partisan. It's not. It's bipartisan. The fact that you have uh, attorney generals all the way from from New York to Virginia, all over the country, uh, you know, some that are conservative, some that are liberal, uh, red states, blue states, swing states. Uh, like Virginia what well, we've all come together to recognize that we, this is a real problem. Uh, this is a problem that Meta knew about. This is a met problem that Meta has exploited. And so our job, you know, I say as attorney general of Virginia, I view myself as the people's protector. I know a lot of other AGs have the same mindset, which is, um, if particularly corporate misconduct, if there's corporate misconduct and you're hurting our constituents, our job as attorney general, as the people's protectors to hold you accountable. And that's exactly what we're doing. And I think that's why you brought so many people from so many different political viewpoints together on the same issue, which is let's protect our kids.
4: What do you consider to be the best case scenario for the outcome of this case? I ask that in part because, you know, in terms of social media in general, it seems like it's here to stay
5: it's here to say, just like tobacco, you know, it's here to stay. The question is, are you going to put in meaningful guardrails to make sure that our kids are protected? Are you going to put in actual enhanced age verification? Are you going to partner? There's so many different third party outlets right now that can provide uh, age verification for, for third parties. And the question is, are they actually going to continue to fight us on this? Or are they going to give you responsible corporate actors for once? And so that's what we're asking them to do. Do the right thing work with us the best case scenario is meta realizes we put you know profits over people and we're going to go about right now putting out meaningful age verification parents matter you cannot cut them out to make sure that young people offer platforms for those that we've identified that are under age of 13 we're closing their accounts down and we're actually going to try to protect our kids and so i think this is going to be one of the great battles of our time and uh it's one we're going to be eventually victorious on
4: just one other quick thing. I'm wondering why with this lawsuit, you didn't do what the school districts have done and also target some of the other social media platforms, the parents of TikTok and Snapchat, for instance.
5: Those are ongoing investigations. TikTok is an ongoing investigation. I don't comment on ongoing investigations. All I can say is stay tuned. There's more coming.
4: Virginia Attorney General Jason Miyares, thank you very much for your time.
5: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, former President Donald Trump is scheduled to testify at his New York civil fraud trial surrounding his and his family's business empire. Tuesday is Election Day. Voters in Mississippi and Kentucky head to the polls for the gubernatorial elections in those states. Meantime, voters in Ohio will decide on ballot measures, including the right to make reproductive decisions and marijuana legalization. Wednesday, the third Republican presidential debate will take place in Miami, and country music's best and brightest take the stage in Nashville for the CMA Awards. Thursday, President Biden will visit Chicago, expected to tout his Bidenomics agenda in the Windy City. Friday, nominations will be announced for the 66th Grammy Awards, taking place February 4th in Los Angeles. Saturday is Veterans Day, honoring those who served in the U.S. Armed Forces. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Matt Napolitano, Fox News.
0: Listen to the all new Brett Bear podcast, featuring common ground, in depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his All Star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you
6: listen. It's time for your Fox News
1: commentary. Paul Patera.
6: What's on your mind? Westfield High School in Westfield, New Jersey opened its doors way back in 1864 so they've dealt with all kinds of issues over the years, but perhaps few as daunting and diabolical as what happened last month. Girls at Westfield High School are reeling from fellow students digitally creating and then sharing nude photographs of them. These are called deep fakes. They're created by taking legitimate images of their faces found elsewhere and then superimposing nude bodies with the use of artificial intelligence. Westfield Mayor Shelley Brindle told the Wall Street Journal to be in a situation where you see young girls traumatized at a vulnerable stage of their lives is hard to witness well i think mayor brindle speaks for many of us especially parents dorado manny is one of them she's mother to 14 year old francesca a student whose image was one of the photographs exploited and then distributed i'm terrified by how this is going to surface and when she said my daughter has a bright future and no one can guarantee this will not impact her professionally academically or socially well in recent years some of us may remember examples of deep fakes being shared online. Notably, one video purportedly featuring actor Tom Cruise. It was entertaining, very convincing, but also downright dangerous. Digital experts uh, and plenty of others have been warning about the potential for artificial intelligence to cause chaos and even outright catastrophe. Media magnate Elon Musk has been one of those sounding the alarm. He even went so far as to say that AI poses civilizational risk. So what can be done? Well, to begin with, state lawmakers should be making the creation and distribution of fake pornography illegal, as well as crafting legislation that makes it feasible for victims to sue the creator who exploits them. To date, only four states have done so. New York, California, Virginia, and Minnesota. There's no good reason why the other 46 states shouldn't follow suit. Now some have suggested existing laws banning child pornography could apply in the case of Westfield High School, but what type of prosecutorial power those hold remains to be fully tested and seen. Last week, the Biden administration issued an executive order dealing with the so-called safe use of artificial intelligence. Part of the intent is to prohibit the creation and quote, non-consensual intimate imagery of real individuals, especially children. Of course, one of the main challenges is that all that's needed to create the filth that harms and exploits someone is a phone, a device that most high school students possess these days. So if you're a parent, what can be done? Well, moms and dads must remain vigilant, maintaining access to their children's devices. You also need to educate them on the dangers of posting even innocent photos on social media that could be used to try and manipulate and harm your daughters and sons. Ironically, the Westfield High School mascot is the blue devil, a term often associated with low spirits, despondency, and melancholy. But another derivation of the word dates to World War I and French soldiers nicknamed Les Diables Blues. They became famous for their toughness and success battling in the Alps. Despite the ominous signs and circumstances, parents and teens are called upon to fight back with similar tenaciousness. We need to teach our sons and daughters about sexual purity, mutual respect, and goodness. Laws may punish and deter, but the very best way to prevent this wicked wildfire from spreading is to shape and nurture the next generation. For Focus on the Family, I'm Paul batura <laughs>